morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. I do appreciate your presence. Such situation like this today, uh, I think, magnifies the wonderful blessing that we have of meeting together and how that sometimes we may take things for granted even when we think we, we don't. Uh, it's, uh, we're so blessed uh, in this life, and I think we need to, at least I do, count our blessings more each day, especially all the bountiful blessings that we do have in this country, and to be able to meet so freely, it is such a wonderful blessing. And I think when a time like this comes, which uh, limits our coming together, and uh, it makes it... it emphasizes that even more. Uh, I think we understand that no matter uh, how wonderfully a blessed country that we live in, that we uh, troubles and times of crisis can and still do come as we live in a world of sin and suffering and sickness, that's a part of this world. And that is why our hope is even magnified as we look toward being in a place where God has prepared for us where those things will be no more. Um, of course, we uh, are reminded of this, as, uh, especially as we're facing what's now been labeled a, a pandemic. And uh, to what extent this is going to be um, a crisis is still yet to be seen. A lot of different information coming out and some conflicting uh, information that's coming out. But in such situations, we can and I think should be concerned about uh, our health, our own health, and the health of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those around us. And uh, we need to be concerned about that and we need to take precautions, even as we're doing this morning. And there may be other precautions to come. I know this morning on, uh, on the news, some of the medical doctors are in, uh, encouraging uh, the governor to shut down the whole state for two weeks. So that may come and we may not be able to meet in this capacity <clears throat> for a couple of weeks till things are, are, are situated. But we'll, we'll look at that as, as that comes. I, I don't want this lesson to be misunderstood in any way that, that I would be making light of this situation. I don't want you to take it that way. I, I, uh, I think that we should... Um, be cautious in the things that we do, and, and that's the reason that we're meeting in the, in the way that we're meeting this morning, taking all the precautions that we can. On the other hand, I think it's very important for us to remind ourselves what the Scriptures teach concerning how the child of God uh, should look at uh, such troubled times and, and crisis. Uh, while we must take precautions as disciples of Christ, we must trust in God and not be anxious setting forth the proper examples of those around us. and uh, I think we can see just how fickle the world can be where during those times of storms just a week or so ago, people were um, volunteering and they were donating and they were talking about being strong and, and all this and, and sharing, and uh, that was very encouraging. And yet... Uh, we turn to this situation and we see hoarding and we see uh, fighting and people gripped with fear and anxiety and, and not taking what they need but taking more than they need, leaving some without and, and uh, attitudes that shouldn't be. Certainly those attitudes uh, are not to be the attitudes of a Christian. Um, I want us to just think about what that should be in this time. You know, 
uh, when Christians face times of crisis. They will come, and as time continues, they'll, they'll be more. Um, so we ask ourselves, as we look at the Scriptures, how, how should we act? Uh, what is the examples that we should set, and where do we draw the line from you know, being concerned to, to being fearful and anxious? Uh, where do I uh, go from being trusting and, and being faithless? You know, where we choose to want to understand that, whether we choose that we've got some who, who couldn't come this morning and chose not to come this morning. And that's not a matter of faith. It's not about right or wrong this morning. We need to understand that. Uh, if a person chose not to come this morning because of their health or concerned about their health, that's okay in this situation. Uh, Hebrews 10, uh, where it talks about forsaking the assembly, in fact, that passage is abused many times. That doesn't have to... Uh, that's talking about people who have quit coming, forsaken. They've completely forsaken the Lord and they're coming together. Uh, it's not talking about uh, having to miss services because of, uh, of health concerns and what we're dealing with now. Those, those things are two separate things. So this is not about a uh, right or wrong thing, even if it comes to where uh, we must not meet in this capacity. We can still meet where there are two we are gathered together and still worship our God, still serve God, and still uh, follow the, the encouragement of the government for our, for our own health and safety. And we'll talk more about that in this lesson. But I want us to consider that by looking at the passage that Jerry read to us in Philippians chapter 4, and verses 4 through 7. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The things that are spoken here were spoken by the Apostle Paul. And when he says rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, realize where he wrote this letter from. We think we have it bad in quarantine. Paul was writing this in house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. Uh, we could say that this was a time of crisis in the life of the Apostle Paul, and yet look how he looked at it. He was encouraging these brethren, even he was in that situation. And he writes this letter, the Philippian letter, which is known now as the, the letter of joy. Sixteen times he uses rejoice or 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 joy in this letter, and it's used in every chapter. And notice uh, when he says to rejoice and where he says to rejoice. He says to rejoice in the Lord, and he says to do that always. There are hard things that come. Did Paul just rejoice that he was in house arrest into a prison? I, I say that wasn't a very... Uh, comfortable, exciting, joyful thing in, in that sense, in that perspective. But he wasn't going to let that get him down because of what he had in the Lord. There's a difference in it. There's why the Christian is able to rejoice. And rejoice not just in certain circumstances, but to rejoice always, even in times of trial. Now that doesn't mean you enjoy the trial. Nobody's enjoying having to deal with all this uh, quarantine and this, this is not a fun thing. But I can still rejoice in the sense that I rejoice in the Lord. 
circumstances uh, can be difficult and they can be concerning. However, because of the promises that we have in God, the provisions that we have, and the love that we have in Christ, we can be joyful. You look at when Paul is writing to the Romans, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, this was a time of crisis. What was going on was that they were being persecuted. In fact, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sakes we are being put to death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. That sounds like a crisis, doesn't it? But what does he say in verse 37? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's rejoicing always in the face of anything that comes or what may come. The Christian can do that. The joy that we show as Christians in the face of whatever it is that we face in life will be seen by other people. And it's important that we portray ourselves as children of God in any situation, rejoicing always. After he says that, he says in verse 5, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men the Lord is near. Some version says let your... Um, gentle spirit be known. Um, this speaks of how we deal with those around us in circumstances, even those of trial and, and crisis. How do, you, how do you deal with it? How did Paul deal with it when he was in prison in Rome? He's saying, let people see something in you that other people don't have, and that's Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Even as you face difficult circumstances and even crisis in life, other people should see Christ living in you. Let your forbearing spirit be known. This word forbear, and this comes from the Cambridge Greek New Testament for schools and colleges, explaining what this word forbearance or gentleness means. He said it means considerateness, being considerate. The attitude of thought and will which in remembrance of others, forgets self and willingly yields up the purely uh, personal claims of self. In other words, you give up self to think of others first. Of course, that's what God tells us to do. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He comes first. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's to give up self, to be forbearing. He says, when you face things, whatever you face, rejoice. And rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And let that forbearing spirit be seen unto all men. Um, the world may be fickle, as we've seen in some of the, the actions. I've seen pictures, terrible pictures, of people fighting over toilet paper. Two ladies fist fighting over toilet paper. Uh, Many uh, of the ones here, even the young people who uh, work in drive-throughs and, and in grocery stores, they're seeing the attitudes of many people of the world because of their frustration, because of their anxiety. 
they're letting their spirit be known. <laughs> and many of them are very rude and very hateful, which uh, makes those who are thankful and who are kind uh, all the more appreciated. We as Christians ought to let our forbearing spirit be seen to all men, knowing that the Lord's near. Our actions uh, will be seen by other people. And that doesn't mean that we're going to try to parade ourselves and and uh, uh, make a flamboyant show of of our of our lives uh, before men. That's that's not the point. Um, there's a difference, as we said before. I remember uh, Brother Tom's up in at Christian Home. He said, "There's a difference in shining your light and letting your light shine." There is a difference. As we just be, uh, act and, and be what we ought to be before the world, showing forth Christ's attitude and our forbearance, people will see our lives. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, we're to let it shine in such a way that men may see our good works and glorify not ourselves, but glorify the Father who's in heaven. So people are going to see how we act. And then we need to think about that and how we serve other people. You know, I may act well when I go out, but am I really willing to serve other people and help other people in this type of situation? I need to think about the opportunities that may come my way as a result of this and not be so fearful that I wouldn't help another brother or I wouldn't help someone in the world who was in need. Uh, I can be safe and I can try to use precautions in that but it may come time when I really need to uh, be in contact with them to help them. You know, this is not the first crisis that's ever come to the world. And it, if time continues, it certainly won't be the last. I looked at several. I've tried to take some time this week to uh, study these things and, and just think about these attitudes for my own self and to try to present some of these things for us together. You know, in the third century, second, third century, there's a man by the name of of Eusebius. Um, I have uh, his history uh, that's been translated in, in a book at home. And uh, he lived in Caesarea. He was a historian uh, of the church. During the, his lifetime, there was a plague called the Cyprian Plague. And it was a terrible thing. People today have tried to figure out by the writings concerning, they call it the Cyprian Plague because of a man named Cyprian who, who wrote about it. Eusebius tells about that in his history. But it was a, it was a terrible, terrible plague. Um, it was a pandemic that affected the Roman Empire from uh, 249 to 262. It lasted that long. And people were dying everywhere. Uh, they say they tried to figure out by the things that are written um, what it exactly it was. Some say uh, may have been something like Ebola, but they're not sure. But it's, it was a terrible disease. But he, Eusebius talks about what Christians did in that day and time. There was panic everywhere. And people were avoiding other people and treating people terribly. 
But he said, most of the brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And to do so meant that many of them would be infected themselves. He continues, says, and many of them died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others, drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. And many who cared for the sick gave strength to others, having transferred to themselves their death. He goes on and talks about how that they willingly did this, but encouraged others because they could see Christ living in them and caused many people to come to Christ who were not Christians because they saw in them a hope of an afterlife, which they didn't have. But a lot of the world were not that way. He said with the heathen, talking about those outside of Christ, everything was quite otherwise. He said they deserted those who were being sick. They fled from their dearest friends. They would throw them out in the streets, half dead, and leave them for fear and anxiety. There's the difference in the world's attitude and the, and the attitude of Christians. In fact, it gave great opportunity uh, not only to help, but to, to lead others to Christ. Uh, he says, this comes from an article that I found uh, yesterday in the Ancient uh, History Encyclopedia. It talks about how, because this lasted about 20 years, it, it crippled the Roman government. Uh, it says it greatly weakened the Roman Empire politically, economically, militarily, agriculturally. But here's what's interesting. Only the Christian church benefited from such chaos. They almost claimed the lives of emperors and pagans who could offer no explanation for the cause of the plague or suggestion how it may prevent it uh, uh, further illness, much less the actions of curing the sick and dying. But Christians played an active role in caring for the ill as well as actively providing care for the burial of these people. Eusebius talked about how that at the risk of their lives they saw that their brethren were buried with a proper burial, wiping their eyes and closing their mouths, he said, and taking their bodies out in their own arms. Those Christians who themselves perished from the illness uh, offered non-believers who would convert to the possibility of a reward of, uh, of an afterlife. So ultimately, this episode not only strengthened, but helped the spread of Christianity throughout the further reaches of the empire and the Mediterranean world. So good can come from crisis if we have the proper attitude and let our forbearing spirit be known to all men, knowing that the Lord is near. But these things have not happened just in the ancient past. Maybe you've read of the Spanish flu of 1918, which is not so long ago, that affected our country and even Tennessee. The Spanish flu of 1918 killed 700,000 people in the United States and 50 million people globally. It was the worst pandemic in modern history. What did the churches of Christ do? Well, 
Nashville saw its first case of Spanish flu in September of 1918. And by November, 13 people, uh, 1,300 people had died in Nashville. That was the 1% of the population of Nashville had died in, from September to November. Uh, the influenza, as we said, killed, you know, 50 million globally. But as the flu spread across the U.S. in the late fall and early winter, schools, businesses, churches closed their doors for weeks. The Tennessee Health Department advised churches to suspend their Sunday meetings from October the 20th to the 27th. And no one protested. The 92 churches closed their doors. Uh, this may come for us, that we need to do that. And as I said, there may be, we can still worship God and serve God and yet try to follow the direction of those who are trying to flatten the curve, as they say. These did, and yet I think something else is interesting. Though most churches closed their doors, the Russell Street Church of Christ in Nashville did not close its doors. The church opened uh, its doors. They approached the Red Cross and offered to help. And the building became a temporary hospital because the city hospitals were so full they were having to turn people away. So they made a makeshift hospital in the church building. And the members along um, with the 11th Street and Chapel Avenue congregations uh, used their, their money and their resources into trying to help and to feed and to nurse people. Um, They were letting their forbearing spirit be seen. One man said that the influenza epidemic had opened up a way for the enlargement of the sympathies of Christian people. They could see it. Some even died caring for others. Uh, J.D. Northcutt, an evangelist from Tracy City, Tennessee, fell ill with influenza, followed with pneumonia, and he died at the age of 43, but it was said of him that he was almost in continual attention to the sufferers who were surrounding him. You know, do I want to die from a virus? <laughs> no. I don't even want to get sick from one. <laughs> do you? And I want to take the precautions that I need to take. And I think that's wise in doing so. And we need to maybe even take more precautions as, as time goes on. But at the same time, I think that we need to not be so fearful that we don't follow the passage in Galatians 6 and verse 10 to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And to use every opportunity that we can, even at the expense of our own health, if it comes to that, to help people. You know, if it was... Uh, with fear of death that Jesus came to this earth, we'd have no salvation. And Jesus, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, said to his disciples in the upper room, this new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. And that's talking about giving. 
In fact, he went on in chapter 15 and verse 13 to say, greater love has no one than this, than he lay his life down for his friends. And we have to have, have that willingness. And yet at the same time, pray and do all that we can to avoid sickness and the sickness of others, but be willing to help to whatever extent that it takes. And the only way we can do that is, is that we know, as he says here, that the Lord is near. This is possible because we know that. I can rejoice and I can rejoice always. And I can let my forbearing spirit be known to all men because I know that the Lord is near. That he is near to all those who call upon him and all those who call upon him in truth. Psalm 145 verse 18. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 to cast all our cares upon him for he cares for us. All our anxieties. We're not to have anxieties when we trust in God. We can be concerned. But there's a difference between being concerned and being anxious and fearful. And it's these promises that allow the believer to not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our request be made known unto God. Anxiety comes from fear, the fear that nothing can be done about the things over which I have no control. Here's something that I can't have any control over, so I, I, I'm fearful over it. You know, there's no joy or peace where there's anxiety. Worry, anxiety. The English word worry comes from the word uh, meaning to choke. You compare a fellow at the, you know, in the tournament last few seconds and he's going to make a, a free throw and he chokes. Well, what did he do? He got anxious, got worried that he couldn't hit it. Maybe in practice, man, he every time. But he doesn't have the confidence, doesn't have, he becomes anxious. That's lack of faith and trust in him. Peter, he started walking on the water, but what he, he began to sink. Why? Because of his anxiety, because of his lack of faith. Jesus, oh, ye of little faith. If I trust in God, if I know he's near, if I know he hears me, I know, yes, I may not be able to do anything about the situation around me, but I know that I can pray to the one who is all-powerful and thus able to do something about anything including the trouble, the, the concerns that I have, which I have no power to do anything about. The Lord can. And I know he's near and I know he hears. That's how I cannot be anxious. Because in everything, little or big, I can go to him and know he cares and know he hears me and has the power to do anything. And I do that, he says. Notice he says, in everything by prayer with supplication, and supplication with thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving. That is, recalling what God has supplied in the past and seen to our needs. Uh, reflecting on God's faithfulness in the past goes a long way in trying to eliminate worry in the future, doesn't it? Think what God, he's got you through in the past. It's always been there, always will be there, as all-powerful. He can get us through anything. And even if I face sickness, God will get me through that. Even if I had to face death 
in this life, from this or something else, whatever it may be, I know that I'll live even if I die. I can have peace. In fact, I can have peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. And that will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. It's difficult to understand this kind of peace. In fact, for those who are outside of Christ, uh, it's completely foreign to them. They can't understand. How do, how do you, if they see your forbearing spirit and everybody else is going crazy in the chaos, they're going to say, how are you so calm? How do you know? They don't understand it. It's hard for me to understand how people make it through crisis without Christ. Once you have that peace, once you have those promises, it's hard to imagine not having them, right? Uh, for those who are in Christ, peace is supplied, and really, it goes beyond what we could imagine or expect. What God has and what he is able to provide goes beyond what we would expect or think. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, he is able to do far more abundantly Beyond, listen to that, more abundantly, beyond what we ask or think according to the power that works within us. It's just hard to imagine that kind of power. But that's what he has and that's what he tells us to call upon when we go to him in prayer with thanksgiving. And he says, if you will, then you don't have to be anxious. But the opposite of that, you can have the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. He says that will guard you. That The word guard, here's a military term. It has the idea of, of setting a garrison around. You know, he's writing to the Philippians. That was a, uh, a Roman colony. And they had a garrison in Philippi. They, they would have understood what he was talking about. It, it will guard you like he puts a garrison around your heart, your mind, so that you can have peace of mind. He guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does that mean the enemy goes away? Does that mean all troubles, everything's on your door? No. Just because you've got a garrison to guard you doesn't mean the enemy's gone away. But because of the garrison, because of what's put in place for you, you can have a a quiet confidence regardless of the circumstances without if you've got that kind of guard. And he said that's what we have in Christ Jesus. In Christ. That's what we're able to have. So we conclude. In the Lord we can always be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Amen quarantine. <laughs> Even in times of crisis, always rejoice and be at peace. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be fearful. We can be concerned. We can take precautions, and I think wisely we should. But I don't have to fear because I know that the Lord is near, and he desires me to make my request known unto him who can do all things. And we can exhibit this faith with a forbearing spirit to others, and it'll be seen by them. And as it does, it will give glory unto God. And that's what we need to center our minds on, I think, at this time. Uh, hopefully this message has been helpful to you. It was helpful to me to, to read it and study it.
just to be reminded of. I didn't talk to you anything new this morning. But these are things that are there for us in times like this. And in all times. That no matter what comes, to know that in Jesus Christ I can rejoice. The question is this morning, are you in Christ? Maybe someone here this morning who's not in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us how to get in Christ Jesus. And that tells us to believe in Him, repenting of our sins, being willing to confess that He is the Christ, the Son of God. But in Romans chapter 6, he's reminding Christians who at that time needed to be reminded of what they had in Christ Jesus and what that meant. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, he said, Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ, been baptized into His death? Entrance into Christ, after a person believes and changed his will to do the will of Christ, commits an obedience by being baptized into his death. That's where Jesus shed his blood, was in his death. And to reach that blood, we, and we must reach it in order to have salvation. He said, you're buried into his death. That's how. And there's water here. Things prepared you to be buried into Christ. Maybe because you're not in Christ, you don't have this peace of mind. You can have it. You can leave this morning. With that peace of mind, being able to pray to the Father, you can leave rejoicing and always rejoice, knowing that you're in Jesus Christ. You're willing to come right now while we stand and sing the song.